Hello, welcome to Breakaway Podcast. My name is Sean Hathaway. Uh, at Breakaway here, we talk about breaking away from the mob, breaking away from groupthink, breaking away from the haters. We study the facts here. We bring you the truth. And through careful analysis and study of facts and truth, we can make intelligent, informed decisions on how to invest our money and make money. And that, my friends, is the number one goal of this podcast. We talk about business. We talk about what's going on. We talk about the group think. We hate on the haters. And we say, this is how I'm going to go invest my money. These are the businesses that are going to do well. These are the leaders. These are the ideas that we need to invest in. We're not going to focus on little like nitty stuff like EPS, quarter over quarter things like that. Um, so here we go. Okay, so because our investment philosophy here is for the long term, we need to understand what the long term means. Okay, so just as an example, how much are, is the stock market up? Oh, by the way, we're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about bonds. We're going to talk about options. We're going to talk about all sorts of different investment options or investment vehicles, if you will, including, let's say, real estate. But let's just look at the stock market. Everybody talks about the stock market. The reality is most people don't really understand the stock market. So how much is the stock market, on average, up year over year over the last 100 years? So if I invest in money, how much percentage gain can I expect to get, on average, over the last 100 years? Well... The answer is about 10%, okay? It might vary by 1% or 2% up or down, depending on what index you're looking at. But generally speaking, investing in the U.S. stock market over the last 10 years will get you about 10% a year. Question number two, how long does it take to double my money, your money, if you're invested in the stock market uh, for at, at 10% per year? How many years until you can double your money? Okay, everybody should know that. My guess is one out of 10 people can answer that question. The answer to that question is seven years. So what does that mean? It means if you put $100,000, $10,000, $1,000 in the stock market, in general, in seven years, that money should double. Here's another reality. Nobody actually does that. Uh, but they should. They should. Um, so we're going to talk lots about that in uh, coming uh, in the coming days and weeks and months. But um, for now, I think that I want to focus on, 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 a, on something that happened yesterday. One of my favorite all-time companies uh, and leaders, Tesla and Elon Musk. So yesterday, Tesla uh, released earnings. Huge day. Okay, so... Tesla is such a fun company because it has, it is the most shorted stock in the world. And what does that mean? It means you can actually make bets that a stock is actually going to go down in price. And if that happens, you actually get paid. Okay, so the idea that they are the most uh, shorted stock means more people and more money has been betting against them for years, actually, than any other company uh, in the world. And this gets me back to, to the haters. And we're going to, again, we're going to talk about haters a lot here because there's so many of them and they're so negative. 
and then they really bother me. And by the way, if you go to Vegas and you play the craps table, the hater is the one, and you're, let's say you got the mark on, on the six, the eight, you know, nine, the ten, the hater's the one that comes up and plays the don't pass line, okay? So they're just betting against you, and they are so happy to see everyone else lose. They're very negative people, and unfortunately, this world's full of them. Um, but my goal here is to actually generally bring good news, okay? So anyhow, back to Tesla. So did you know that Tesla now has a valuation of over $300 billion dollars? Uh, that makes it by far the most valuable company, car company in the world. Uh, $300 billion market cap. Uh, that means that's what the company's worth. It also makes it, uh, I think I was looking at one of the, the top 10 most valuable companies in the world. And it, uh, that might be wrong actually, maybe it's uh, top 30. But anyhow, it's very valuable. And the it's more valuable than the top three, four, five car, other car companies, GM, Ford, Chrysler. All the U.S. companies, GM, Ford, Chrysler, put together, more valuable than all of them. Okay, stock price, their stock price, so one share of stock, if you want to go out and buy it, was $300 back in October. So what is that, nine, eight months ago, something like that? Now, it's $1,500. So if you take it, that's a 5Xer. 300 times 5 is 1500 If you'd taken $100, $1,000, $10,000, dollars and put it in Tesla just a, just you know six months back, your money would be worth 5x what it is today. Okay? So let's, let's dive in here a little bit more on uh, the Tesla, Tesla rocket ship here. So financial highlights. I'm not going to talk about financial highlights a lot because, quite frankly, they're kind of boring and they're like quarter over quarter metrics. And by the way, there's nothing that I find more annoying than reading in the newspaper, which I read all the time uh, about companies and earnings. Oh, they missed their EPS by five cents, by three cents, and they missed EPS and, and you know, and revenue. They missed revenue by five percent or two percent, and the stock just moves up and down. And that's just kind of crazy. Because if you're actually looking at numbers quarter over quarter, you know, that closely, you're missing the big picture, you know, that whole forest uh, through the trees thing. So you, you, need to, you need to step back and look at the company, at the vision, the execution, the leader, Elon Musk, uh, in this case, who, who by the way, has been, has been accused of oftentimes over-promising and under-delivering. And I would say that uh, in terms of under-delivering, it's more of a timing aspect. Sure, maybe he's been a quarter or two quarters late. He's taken a lot of heat for uh, some, some audacious goals. But um, in general, I think he's pretty much delivered on everything he said he's going to do. And maybe it's been a couple quarters late, but he's, he's, he's delivered. Um, you know, the, one of the biggest uh, issues was a year ago when they said he wouldn't be able to build the Model 3, and he actually erected a plastic tent structure outside of their factory in Fremont uh, to build it. And he was ridiculed and shamed by the investment community and reporters and, and the haters, essentially. And then that quarter uh, made their numbers, and uh, the rest has kind of been history as they've uh, propelled the stock and the company uh, upward, upward and to the right, we like to say. So, 
All right, so let's go into the financial highlights. I say I don't talk about financial highlights, but it's relevant. Okay, so oh, it's particularly relevant in this case because I'm going to compare a couple numbers. One, their revenue number. That means their total sales quarter over quarter. They did $6 billion worth of sales in Q2. Okay, Q2 means the, the period ended on June 30th. All right, they did about the same $6 billion in Q1. Okay, so you're going to say, well, what's, what's the big deal there? Um, well, the big deal there is that their factory, their main factory in Fremont, they only have one other factory that's up and running, and that's in Shanghai, and it's still ramping up. Um, so they're basically, their main factory in Fremont was shut down for six weeks uh, because of the COVID-19. Okay, so they were shut down for six weeks, yet they still managed to eke out the same amount of revenue in Q2 as in Q1. Now, there's some reasons for that, you know, um, uh, some more details behind that that I'm sure the haters will say, well, that, the reason they did that is because they sold some energy credits and blah, 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 blah. But it, it doesn't matter. The fact is they were able to generate the same amount of profit in Q2 with six weeks shut down as Q1. And then, and then when we think about how they did this, we think about the leader and we think about the vision, okay? So going into this whole shutdown thing, you know, what, what was that all about? So COVID-19, I think we all understand that. We had the um, California, which is where their Fremont factory is located, is an extremely uh, liberal place. Um, and generally, uh, leaders are, are liberal and have been very um, authoritarian in terms of how they have driven their vision of these shutdowns. So uh, starting at the top of Governor Newsom, he shut everything down. I mean, everything down. And I think that was fine. I think everyone did that and, and definitely two, three, four weeks was probably okay, but has been very slow to, to reopen um, and a little overly cautious. Now, you can argue that, so I don't want to go into that right now, but but very cautious. And then we've had at the county level in California, the uh, county commissioners, and then my favorite are the health, the health, uh, county health deputies who are these uh, unelected officials who are making calls on whether companies can open. Now, I can't, I can't remember the name of the, the so I actually live in, in Santa Clara and the county next to us is Costa Contra or Contra Costa County, excuse me. Um, I don't know the name off the top of my head of their health commissioner, but uh, if it's anything like Sarah Cody, who, who is in Santa Clara, um, basically you've got this person who's unelected that the county listens to and is telling a company like Tesla, which is, by the way, one of the crown jewels of the United States. I don't care if you're Democratic or Republican, by the way. It's a crown jewel in terms of, in terms of a company that could be globally known, could help us uh, drive manufacturing jobs uh, and GDP in the United States and be an exporter to the whole world, okay? Um, you know, we have very few of those. We don't have very few of them, but very few new ones. You know, think about Boeing or you know, Procter & Gamble or GE or some big companies like that. But um, Tesla is one of them. And so now we have this unelected health official telling them they have to shut down. Anyhow, so then Elon and company, um, I don't even know if it's in company, but Elon definitely says this isn't, this isn't a go. We're going, we need to get started we need to get ramped back up. Six, seven weeks later, you know, he puts out some tweets and says, we're opening. Please come to the factory. 
Um, if, if you're a worker, by the way, and didn't feel comfortable going to the factory, you weren't required to. Okay, but he said he's going to be there right along in production with the rest of them, uh, with the rest of his team and um, manufacturing. And if they wanted to come arrest him, they can come arrest him. Love that tweet. Um, anyway, he never got, he ultimately didn't get arrested. They ultimately gave him a pass, he did some inspections, and they all agreed on the safety and health precautions of what was going on. What is my point of that story? My point is that's the kind of leadership and boldness that it takes to, to lead and to create, I should say, a company like Tesla. And that's the kind of stuff that I personally, uh, that personally motivates me and inspires me and tells me, informs me, I would say, that this is the kind of company and the kind of leader you may want to invest in. Okay. Now, there's a lot of people like that. Actually, not a lot of people like that, but there are people like that, but they may not have a product that can actually back their their um, their their beliefs, their fire, their philosophy. Uh, well, in this case, Mr. Musk does. Okay, so I would get behind him. Um, the other big, lots of big announcements. I'm going to go through them. The other one was that this is the fourth quarter in a row that they have had positive uh, gap income or net income, um, and and that's important because uh, one of the uh, hurdles to getting into like the S&P 500, which is an index, and some other indexes are you need to have, show that you have four quarters of profitability, you need to be a certain size. So this is another box they can check off um, that says, hey, we're a real company here. Okay. Now their profitability wasn't you know super high. I think it was uh, $100, $100 million or something along those lines. Um, but the point is, they are they are profitable. They're also cash flow positive. Um, so, all around, really, really good news. Really, really good quarter. So, um, other other um, items, other things that Elon Musk talked about was the uh, Giga factory in Austin. So let's just kind of go through their their factories real quick. So they they opened up their biggest factory here in. Their only factory, excuse me, their initial factory here in Fremont, California. I keep saying here because I live in, in California. Um, drive by their factory all the time when I'm going up to Tahoe to ski or snowboard or just play golf or just relax. And they also have a what they call their Giga Battery Factory in Nevada. And again, that's another another area where a lot of analysts and haters came in and said, why are they building this factory and batteries and wasting all their time and their money and all this money? And it's like, well, guys, you know the secret to having the, 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 the only way they could possibly get a um, an affordable uh, car, electric car for the masses was was to, well, they got a lot of things to improve and, and get costs down in, but the, the biggest issue was battery battery efficiency um, in terms of uh, its, its electrical efficiency and then also just the cost of manufacturing. So again, a few years ago, everybody kind of poo-pooed this whole idea and now it is paying dividends in spades. Um, so anyway, so they got their Fremont factory, they got, the, they got the Nevada factory, and then they built Shanghai in less than a year. Um, from, from sticking the first shovel into the ground to less than 12 months later, they're, 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 they're building cars. Uh, amazing. Not sure if that's actually ever been 
done in the history of the world in terms of speed. Um, which reminds me that Elon believes that one of their biggest competitive advantages is going to be their manufacturing prowess and uh, efficiency and the inability of competitors to be able to meet that. So they're going to be able to bring costs down far faster than, than, than competitors are going to be able to. Um, if I remember, I'll, I'll get back to that one more. But um, again, this is stuff I could talk about for for hours and hours, and uh, I plan to do that to, to help you understand why this is, um, although a quite um, valuable company by any metric, um, still a good investment for a very long-term investment. But I'll come back to the manufacturing. But oh yeah, so anyway, so back to their factories. Um, so that's Shanghai. So what I say, we got Fremont. We got their battery factory in Nevada. They got their car manufacturing facility in Shanghai. And now they have announced uh, they'll be building another car manufacturing and battery factory in Berlin, Germany, and a new car manufacturing facility in Austin, Texas. That was their, their new announcement on this last earnings call. Um, so they will be manufacturing cars, I would say, likely in less than 12 months um, in th on three continents. Amazing. Um, uh, very cool. So he likes to talk about, he, Mr. Elon Musk, likes to talk about uh, solar and energy. Uh, most the analysts and, and, and discussions, whether it's in, you know, journals, newspapers, you know, the news, they, they don't really talk about energy uh, that much. And Elon kind of made a point of driving home the fact that you're missing the boat on this. You're missing the big picture because he acquired Solar City, which is actually run, you know, a couple years ago, is actually run by his cousin. Um, and then there was a lot of issues too in the press at the time that actually I think there were lawsuits. There may still be lawsuits uh, pending about how that was a waste of money and it was, he only bought it because it was related party, you know, his cousin ran the company. Anyway, uh, so. I think it's turning out to be to be a great purchase, and, and one of the one of the points he made on the call is that he believes now that Tesla offers the cheapest, most inexpensive installed solar in the United States, maybe the world. Uh, I think he said the United States. So what that means is if you're going to go put solar on your roof and have the battery attached to your house, the power pack, and all that, the point is you're going to pay the least or reap the most benefit by going with solar. Now, I don't know if that's true. I haven't like done all the math and stuff. And I think the point is, um, it's, it's probably, it's probably close to true and it's probably a good point. And then they further iterate on the call that solar and energy and batteries and the whole energy storage space in the world are actually is a, multi multi billion i don't even know how many billion um energy it's probably hard to hard to measure um but it, it dwarfs it's 10x the size of automotive and if you think about it this is what they're becoming specialists in kind of in the background nobody's focused on it but you know i think five ten years from now it's they're going to be like more an energy company than maybe a car company in terms of the solar and the battery and the storage again can go more to that. Probably will dedicate an entire podcast just to 
energy storage because it's so fascinating. One of the things I always tell I always tell my family when we're driving by big dams and reservoirs, and we just visited Hetch Hetchy recently. Um, God, it's an amazing place. But one of the biggest challenges for mankind, for uh, society, is actually storing uh, water and energy. And they actually go together. It's hard to store water because it evaporates. And we all need water, right? We use a ton of water. We use ridiculous amounts of water in the United States. As, as It's crazy how much water we use. I think the average person uses, I don't know, 30 gallons a day or just something ridiculous. So where do we store all this water? Where's all our drinking water? Where's our showering water? And then where's all our energy come from? That's the other thing. So these are two things, two resources that we just splurge on and, you know, you just turn a, push a button or turn a tap and it just happens. But they're both extremely hard to deal with. And they're highly related, too, because the storage of water uh, drives the creation of energy through, through dams. So I digress. But my point is Tesla, and this is why I'm going to be in them for a long time, could be bigger than an auto company in uh, five to ten years in terms of the storage collection, storage, and distribution of electricity, energy. There we go. Uh, what else? You know, you talked about the Model S going over 400 miles. That is, uh, for us people on the West Coast, that's like driving from L.A. to San Francisco nonstop. And that's not, um, uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing we talked about was uh, full self-driving. Again, could dedicate an entire podcast to the importance of full self-driving. And again, this is another area the haters were like, oh, Tesla, they're never going to get to full self-driving. And he talked about having their driving fleets of cars. And well, guess what? Who do you think is is logging more data in terms of self-driving? Because I think for years now, uh, with their millions of cars on the road, all the data is tracked. Um, I know that Google has an outfit, Waymo, doing this. Um, I know Uber had an Endeavor at some point, GM's trying to do something in partnership. The point is nobody, take all those other guys I just mentioned, combine them all, and nobody, nobody is doing what Tesla is doing. And what Tesla's doing well with very focused, entire group dedicated to this. So he talked about how his car can now drive from his house to work, you know, through stop signs, through neighborhoods, through lights, turning left, turning right, through construction, uh, without needing driver assistance. He did say, hey, sometimes he has to jump in or it'll turn off and say driver take over. But it's generally it's generally there. And, you know, again, three to five years, it's going to be there for everybody. So another cool thing that he kept belaboring a little bit um, was the concept that this full self-driving feature is going to be the biggest, uh, what did he say, incrementer, incrementer in value. Um of anything in history, meaning if you were to take something and and, and add it, it might be uh, I don't I don't know, I can't even think of an example, but but by adding the full self driving to an existing car, it's going to add this level of utility uh, that they've measured to be 10x. You know, you can measure that by how much you're able to work or read the paper or sleep or whatever you're doing while you're in your car that you won't have to do because you're driving. Okay, so it's going to add a level of utility, uh, an incremental level of utility bigger than anything that's existed in the history of the world. Um, so uh, that's cool, right? Okay, could go on and on. Oh, back to the manufacturing, and uh, he talked a lot about jobs, which I thought was really cool. Um, uh, so it was so cool, I actually am old. My, I have 
I have a daughter, or two daughters actually, 11 and 13. And one of them, uh, or both of them, I'm always talking to them, but what do you want to do in life? You know, what do you want to do when you get older? Not pressuring them too much, but it's one thing that my parents never, never did with me. And I, I kind of wish they had. So I would have been a little more thoughtful about kind of where I ended up going to school and what I ended up studying. So I, I try to, you know, not put too much pressure on my kids, but, but try to, try to ask them. So uh, one of my daughters is super like organized and she's always planning stuff and very meticulous and and so Elon Musk is talking about manufacturing in the in the factory. Here's another thing that I think is cool. He's like, I love manufacturing and it's one of those things that in the United States is completely underrated. And they're hiring people on their manufacturing floor and all of these sites that we that I just talked about. And he's saying, look, this isn't a place where I thought this was really cool. He says, I don't this is not a place where the where the product guys just say, here it is, figure out how to put it together. No, this is, this, it could be like, here is a, you know, here's, here's how the bumper is connecting into underneath the, underneath kind of the back of the car and how it has to fit around the tires. And, you know, if you change this architecture, um, we could, we could, we could improve and the manufacturing process. As a matter of fact, you might be able to even eliminate a step, right? And he talks about how they've done that by, by making the parts bigger and stamping larger components. So basically he's saying, look, we, we value manufacturing and, and, and we're hiring. So I told my daughter that might be a good thing for her to go study. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then, oh, they really talked about insurance a lot. Um, again, I don't think they're entering insurance necessarily to make money. Um, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a way to make money. What they're, what they're saying is I think they're, they're trying to lower Tesla's ultimate co ultimate goal is obviously to sell cars and help the world and that kind of thing. But part of the way of doing that is by lowering the cost of ownership. Okay. So, you, so a way to lower the cost of ownership is by lowering the cost of insurance. And so I think a couple years ago, they realized that the insurers are charging way too much. Like, why would you charge somebody this much when we can see everything, everywhere they've driven, how fast, slow, um, how good they drive, etc. And so they said, you know what, we're just going to pull this in-house and offer our own insurance. It makes so much sense. I mean, if you have all of this data um, on insurance, I mean, excuse me, data on driving, you can, um, you know, it's like the law of, the law of numbers. If you've got... Um, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions in this case of data points, um, you can estimate with a lot of probability uh, certainty the uh, ability uh, or <clears throat> how, how good a driver is. So I think that that uh, is going to be another interesting area for them. Finally, um, you know, he was kind of wrapping up the call. So he was asking about demand and and he just said, you know, demand is not the issue here. We're building three factories. Demand is not the issue. So, so where does Tesla go from here? Well, it's it's not it's a it's a it's a very expensive stock to buy right now, given their profitability. But I think I'm still of the position that if you're a patient person. Um, and I'm talking like five years patient. Like you shouldn't, most of the time if you're investing, I fundamentally believe that most of the time if you're investing in the stock market, you should have a time horizon of no less than five years. Um, but if you believe that, uh, or you don't have to touch that money for five years, then I think Tesla 
is is a place to is a place to put it. I think that we're going to see that stock double, triple over the next decade, uh, maybe even more, uh, if they can execute on all these these areas we've talked about. So, uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up my first podcast here. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to bringing you more. I think my next one I'm going to talk about one my other favorite companies, which would be Netflix, with another super visionary. CFO. So uh, thank you and uh, please tune in for my next podcast. Talk to you later.